Hey guys. Hi, that's better. Thank you. I'm looking for crowd interaction when I do stuff like that. It's like this needy thing I have. Thank you. Um, I'm glad you're here. Uh, yeah, we're in a really hard little part. So, you know, well done. Well done. Um, we're going to do our best to look at this little section in chapter 2, verses 6 through 20, the woes, the five woes. We're going to do our best to look at those in a way that helps us understand maybe why they're there and why we should care. <laughs> okay? Is that fair? Oh, look at all the rhymes I'm doing today. It's almost, that was pretty great to do say myself. Um, I'm going to pray again. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that these are your words today. I pray that um, for those of us that just, we, we are coming in here heavy, burdened, scared. Um, we just remind us that, that, that it is well with our soul when we have you, Lord. I pray, oh gosh, I pray. I pray for the girl who walks in or watches online that doesn't have you that she's just carrying this backpack full of like boulders and trying to carry it all herself. Lord, I pray today is the day that she lets it down before your throne. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care. Thank you that through every one of these difficult places, you are there. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Well, I have, I, okay, this seems important and very um, applicable to today's lesson. How many of you um, have asked this question to someone or heard this question asked in the last two weeks. Are you ready? How often do you think about the Roman Empire? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Those of you who don't, buckle up. You're going to love this. Okay. So there's this trend, this TikTok trend. And I think I, I read the origin story. I believe it started on Instagram, believe it or not. See, social media, there's some good things about social media. Amen? A couple, one or two here or there. Anyway, there was this thing that happened where, where girls started asking their husbands or their boyfriends or just guys in their lives. And, and it was like shocking to us to realize that these men think about the Roman Empire all the time, right? It's like you'd hear, if you watch all the TikTok and Instagram and all the things, you'd hear she say, hey, so like thinking fully, which P.S., I did this to my husband. I'm like, this is so ridiculous. I'm gonna ask my husband. He's gonna be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I asked him one day, I go, hey, I had my daughter on speaker. I go, hey, Brent, so I have a really weird question. Just hang with me. Just go with me. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? And I'm like giggling and Maya's giggling and we're just kind of like, and he goes, hmm, like recently? And I'm like, I don't know, ever? And he goes, uh, about, about every other day. And it's like full seriousness. And I'm like, I have never in the history, maybe in the Bible parts, never thought about, hmm, thankful to the Roman Empire for the plumbing, right? For the roads, for the government, for the calendar, all these things, right? So anyway, the whole point is like when you start asking people, ask your people in your life about this. And if these men will say they think about it, and you know why they think about it? Because all this amazing stuff came from the Roman Empire. Are you familiar with it? Well, don't worry. I have a list. Okay. So I texted my husband last night. Yes, I texted him. He was literally like five feet away from me. But I'm like, just kind of give me a little rundown because whatever. Okay. Roman Empire contributions to our society today. Okay. Here's some of them. Just some of them. I'm going to go fast. Architecture and engineering, 
They created aqueducts, which was Roman engineering techniques for water supply systems to influence the modern infrastructure of plumbing. Okay, whatever. Okay, cool. Arches um, that used in Roman architecture. Concrete. Who knew that one? Right? Concrete. More fantastic things Roman Empire contributed to society. The legal system. We follow Roman law. Essentially, it was a legal system laid in the foundations for many legal principles and concepts. Language and alphabet, the Latin language has influenced more modern languages, including English, Spanish, French, and Italian. Crazy, right? The Latin alphabet, um, the, the government politics, Senate, roads and infrastructure, bridges, calendars, military formations. Did you know this? I did not know this. Roman military formations like the Legion influenced modern military strategy today. But you know what I find like the most fascinating? Well, then there's urban planning and medical things. And I could go on. We could do this all day, but that's not why we're here. But here's what's the most interesting thing to me about the Roman Empire. You know what it is? That it's gone. (laughs) Right? This amazing thing that we're all talking about on TikTok and everything that all the guys are fantasizing about and thinking about, and you know why, like if you really dig down deep when you start talking to them about it, they'll say, because so much of what's going on in the world today feels like that's what's coming, a fall. The Roman Empire fell in 476 AD from the tower builders of Babel in the, New, in the Old Testament to the empire builders in Rome, every generation sees kingdoms that achieve a measure of temporary earthly success, but they fail when they're not founded on the principles of what our heavenly father has planned. Roman empire, gone. Babylonians, the Chaldeans, about to be gone, okay? But right now, at this place we're sitting in history, remember, we have God talking to who? Who's he speaking to? Good job. Y'all said that so confidently. Good job. Habakkuk, right. And remember, we don't know exactly if that's how you say it, so you can totally make up your own pronunciation. But he's speaking to him, and he's saying, I'm going to tell you things about what's coming with this people group, this powerful Babylonians that are about to destroy the Judeans, which are God's people, remember? History lesson, okay, in case you slept and don't remember. I have to remember sometimes. At this time in history, God's people, the Israelites, the ones that were, you know, with Moses, they came out of Egypt, they were slaves, they were in the, you know, all that, all that history. Now they have divided into two kingdoms, remember? And the northern kingdom, what did we talk about before? Has already fallen to the Assyrians, okay? So the southern kingdom, which is called Judah, that's why you'll see Judeans sometimes, and that's really God's people, just remember that, okay? So right now we have God talking to Habakkuk about what's happening and what's about to happen. Because remember Habakkuk said, why is this happening? You know, we're your people, blah, blah, blah. And how long is this going to happen? And God said, buckle up. It's about to get worse, right? Well, the get worse is what we're going to see him define here in verses 6 through 20. This horrendous empire that's coming. But see, what we know is that it won't last forever, okay? We know that. They did not know that. Um, so take a look with me, if you would, Habakkuk chapter two, verses six through 20. Let's look at this wonderful section that we call the five woes. Now, one thing I want to remind you about, okay, this is like Bible lesson, Bible lesson that's important for all the Bible study of all the time, okay? This book, okay, no matter which part you pull out and read, 
no matter which part you quote on Instagram, no matter what, it's all one big overarching story, okay? The whole thing. You've probably heard that before. I'm gonna remind you, because I need reminding sometimes. There's four real parts to this big giant story. We're right in the middle of one of them, okay? It starts with creation, then fall, then redemption, which is a long period of time coming when Jesus is coming, and then restoration, okay? All of it points to one person, the entire Bible from verse one to the very last verse in Revelation, all of it. Who is it? Yeah, you remembered Sunday school. Good job, guys, well done. Always answer Jesus, that's a good one. So, so what you can know is it's one book with one divine author, lots of, lots of non-divine authors, but all brought together, one divine author, all focused on one person, that's Jesus. Okay, so what does that have to do with the five woes? I'm gonna show you, okay? So look, take a look, would you? with um, verse six, okay? Here's where we're gonna start in verse six. Now, I, I know I've said this before and I sent that email and everything, but I want you to know something. Especially in sections like this, read different translations. Don't just read one. I mean, you can just read one, totally okay. The, the one that we use in that book, she refers to ESV. For this study, I've spent a lot of time in the New Living Translation, and you know why? Because it's not so clunky. Sometimes it's got a little more flow, a little more conversation. It's still a reliable translation, okay? ESV is more of a, not completely a word for word, but almost the closest you're gonna get. And so sometimes the words don't flow for us and it seems like a little hard to understand. It's not you, okay? Just go read another translation. You know what I do all the time? And I'm, this is not in my notes, so bear with me. I open up like my Bible app or I have like online, I go to Bible Gateway and it has this little button, it's called panels. And I will open up one passage in like three different translations, just all right there next to each other. Because I don't get it sometimes, okay? So be okay not getting it sometimes. Okay, I'm off, I'm off my platform on that. Um, I'm gonna read from, just to make it a lot more confusing, I'm gonna read from the ESV today, which is what you have, okay? And here's why I'm doing that. I, I told you I love the, the new living and I love how it makes it feel a little less painful, but I wanted you to hear this word, woe, okay? There are five of them and it's an important word. What does woe mean? Basically, it means how terrible, okay? Woe is you, how terrible, right? Well, I'm gonna read the whole thing, okay? I'm gonna point out a couple of things and then we're gonna zoom in on each of those five woes and then, and then talk about what, why in the world we care about this, okay? Sound fair? Okay, so just follow along with me if you want to um, or you can just listen. Okay, chapter two, starting in verse six. Shall not these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, remember this is God speaking, okay? Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Verse eight, because you have plundered many nations, all the remnants of people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and to all who dwell in them. That's the first one. Second one, verse nine. Woe to him who gets evil gain from his house to set his nest high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame in your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life for the stone will cry out from the wall 
and the beam from the woodwork respond. The third one, third woe. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Verse 13, behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Circle that, that's gonna be important. We're gonna come back to that in just a minute. As the waters cover the sea. Verse 15, this is the fourth one. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. We'll get back to that in a minute. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. Verse 17, the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. This is so fun, right? Verse 18, this is the fifth one. And the wording, notice the structure and the wording and the pattern changes in this one, okay? So notice that. What profits is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies for its maker trusts in his own creation. When he makes speechless idols, woe to him who say to a wooden thing, awake to a silent stone, arise, can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath at all in it. And then verse 20 wraps up the whole thing and we'll hit that in a minute. These are lovely, lovely little sections, aren't they? <laughs> and you're like, I don't understand why I care about this. I'm not cutting off people. I'm not, you know, I'm not, not, not getting them drunk and, and murdering them. There's a lot of things you think you're not doing, right? I'm, me too, I hope you're not doing those things. Um, here's what you can understand, okay? First of all, this is God speaking about whom? To whom? About the Babylonians, right? He has described, okay? Because remember, just before, in the lesson before, Habakkuk had come to him and was asking all these questions, and so God is now answering the questions about the people that are coming, okay? He's established with Habakkuk that, hey, I know what, what my people, the Judeans, the Israelites, God's people, I know what they're doing. I know what all of them are doing. Habakkuk is concerned about it, and then God is saying, but I'm about to use these nasty, nasty people as a tool, as a weapon against them to teach them a lesson. Yuck, right? So then God, in his God greatness, he goes into more detail about these guys. Okay, so this is probably all about the Chaldeans and the Babylonians. Remember the same guys. Okay, however, this is where it gets a little painful. I want you to notice something. When he speaks about him and all, and he uses all these words, he never specifically says who he's speaking about. You see that? We infer from the way he's answering Habakkuk that he's talking about the Babylonians, but you know who else we can see him talking about? God's people, the Judeans, right? Some of the things that we've already talked about that they have been doing, right? We knew that God warned them about these things. You're not gonna hold um, other gods above me, that you're not gonna participate in, in, in things that I've warned you about. And so we know they're doing it. So he's speaking to them too. You know who else he's speaking to? You and me. That's right. Because remember, what did we say about God's word? It may not be written to dear Chris, here's the book of Habakkuk, but it is always, always to be remembered that every word is for us. If there is words in this Bible, it is there for a reason, not just a history lesson, okay? 
So when you're reading through this, you just remember, it's for the Babylonians, it's for God's people, but it is for you and me too. Well, God speaks of these five woes. Okay, so there are these five laments of judgment, okay? And they're in response to this insatiable evil that's been gathering and going, okay? Now, the first three are formed, they're like a cluster, and they're all about lust, about, and they build on each other. You're gonna see, we're gonna, t- we're gonna talk about them in just a minute. I read them, but you're gonna see, it's like, it's like these Babylonians, imagine them, they just, they want something, so they're gonna go take it, and then they take the thing, and then they build on top of that. They're like, okay, now we have it, And so now we're gonna build on top of that, right? So these first three, they kind of go like that. The fourth one, it deals with the treatment of other people, the treatment of their neighbors. And the fifth, the fifth deals with idolatry. And honestly, when I was sitting here going through this, I'm like, okay, how do we apply this to our lives? Like that number five, that was easy, easy. We're gonna relate to that. Remember, woe means how terrible, okay? In verse six, he starts out with this little section. There's three words, and that's another reason I used the ESV today because I wanted to point these words out. You can underline them in your Bible if you want to. There's a word um, taunt, there's a word scoffing, and there's a word riddles. It goes like this. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him, him being essentially the Babylonians or us or the Judeans, okay? Okay with scoffing and riddles for him, and then, it, and then it goes on. Now, the reason I brought this up is because every, every commentary, and that is basically smart Bible guys, okay, have done a lot of study about the original language and the meanings and things, will make a point about these three words, which I skated right past, did you? I like didn't even notice them, I'm like, okay, whatever, that's okay. This is what I found, I found this. What is perhaps the most surprising is that these terms they are drawn from the vocabulary of the wisdom literature, not from prophetic speech. The wisdom literature, that's like Proverbs and Psalms, okay? And so it's like, it's, it's like, it's like Habakkuk is telling us something that's more important, say, than just retelling a history story, okay? More important, say, than just talking to these one group of people, the word taunt, it's used in Micah 2.4, and it means to ridicule, and it talks about ridiculing in, this, in the, in the um, umbrella of divine judgment, okay? So it's not just taunt, like make fun of somebody on the preschool you know, playground, right? It's talking about judgment from God. The word scoffing, it means to, to, um, to scorn. And the word riddles, which it's kind of like what we would think, it means that they have become a joke, Powerful, right? It's a warning for all. Israel had been warned before. The Babylonians have been warned before. And we are warned. Well, okay. The five woes. Super fun. Here we go. Ready? The first woe, verses six through eight. I labeled it selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. You see, in this section, he's talking about, God's talking about how the Babylonians have stolen wealth from powerless people, and they've abused and plundered, and injustice is everywhere. There's this violence um, language of war. It's, it, one commentator said this, they used excessive interest payments and exploitative lending practices to cripple and take advantage of those who are financially vulnerable. You see, it's not just about war here. It's about smarts to manipulate and take what's not theirs. 
God does not forget the evil that's done, but he deals with it at the right time. You see, this little section, what's interesting about this is in Daniel 5, jot that down for some fun reading later, Jan Daniel 5. Later, we're gonna see that 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 they are gonna be, the Babylonians are gonna be invaded by the Persians and the Medes and they're gonna come and take everything just like it says, woe to them. So their selfish ambition, it's not gonna last, okay? The second woe is, is covetedness, coveted, covet, covetedness. In Ephesians 4.28, that's in the New Testament, okay? These are the words of Paul. When he is instructing um, the churches that are, that are cropping up, he's telling them things. And you know one thing he says in Ephesians 4.28, which I thought was fascinating in light of this? He says that there are really three ways that you're gonna get wealthy. You know what they are? To steal, to work, or to be gifted. And so this woe is focusing on the fact that, that these Babylonians have come in and unjustly gained these, 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 this wealth, and they've done it in, 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 in violent ways that serve themselves. And what we know, too, is that this is kind of a spoiler alert, that their security is not real security. Amen? Remember the Romans? Remember? How often do you think about the Roman Empire? Remember the whole thing? They're gone, and so the security that these Babylonians put on all these things, it's like God's just sitting there and going, this is not gonna last. And so he's telling Habakkuk, I'm giving you something to put your hope on, something that doesn't change. God does not change. His plan is all sufficient, and he knows all of it. These Babylonians, it's all gonna crash. They used greed and wealth to build security against a threat of disaster. They took land, built empires, and secured their safety. Verse 11, interesting verse. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork will respond. You know, think about this. Have you ever heard that phrase, if walls could talk? <laughs> these walls are going to be talking. <laughs> Because he's making the point that, that even these walls are going to cry out for justice, that the very materials that the Babylonians are using for destruction and for evil are going to testify against them. That's how powerful God is. Mark 8, 36, that's also in the New Testament, and that's in the Gospels, right? Mark tells about Jesus and, and how he went and ministered to people and what he did and what his life looked like. And in, verse, in chapter 8, verse 36, Mark says this, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Security doesn't matter if it's in the wrong things, guys, right? I mean, we can sit here and shake our, shake our head all day long at the Babylonians, but I, felt, I see me in some of that. Do you see you in some of that? All security becomes unsecured because of this covetedness that, that will be dealt with. And God's gonna deal with it. I, uh, I think back to, you know, where do you hear that word covet? Anybody, where, where, do we, where do we know that word from in the Bible? Yeah, there's this little list back, back in Exodus, just a small little thing called the Ten Commandments, amen? Now, okay, so I want you to think about something which I have never thought about before in my whole history of my life. Think about this. If we are guilty of being covetous, then we are in danger of breaking all other nine. Think about it. 
If you are letting your life be consumed by being covetous of others, by taking things that are not yours, by building up security in ways that should not be built up, then we're just we're we're deceiving ourselves if we don't believe that we can handle and and fall down the rabbit hole of those other nine. I'd never thought of that before. Thanks, Habakkuk. <laughs> Woe number three. Woe number three is exploitation, verses 12 through 14, exploitation. It's kind of an extension of the first two, okay? So now you have this tyrannical empire. You know, they built on bloodshed and, and deception and fear and intimidation and confusion and revenge and all these things, right? Really dark, nasty things, we know this. We know that the Babylonian Empire was built um, by prisoners of war, by slaves exploited to the fullest extent of humanity. But we also see in this section, I had you circle it in verse 14, what word is introduced for the first time? Lord. Lord. For the first time, God is called into this equation. Isn't that interesting? Do you think that's an accident? I don't think it is. Read, read with me verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, he's telling us basically that, 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 that Yahweh of hosts, which, okay, God has, has he, he is God, he is one God, okay? But there are a lot of different times that people in the Old Testament especially will use different terms that, that point out different parts of who he is, okay? It doesn't mean it's different people, it's the one God, the Father, okay? But in this particular section, there's this usage of the word Lord for us. And the original title, um, although it can kind of be disputed, it's considered the Yahweh of hosts because it appears in a lot of different places in the Old Testament, but in Samuel especially, in context, listen to this, with significant changes in Israel's social structure. And so it's like God is calling himself here He's basically saying, this big changes are about, I'm telling you all these things, but God, okay? I love that. I think that's so cool. He is more powerful than any powerful oppressor. Their power is temporary. His is greater than all others. Their power is, is very temporary. Well, the fourth woe, drunkenness and violence, Cool, we love that one, right? We're all like, that's not me. Well, okay, let's just take a look and see. Um, verses 15 through 17. This is vivid imagery, right? That there's victims that are being forced um, essentially to drink a wrath of shame, okay? It's, it's essentially this idea that, okay, in this time, shame was a big deal. It's a shame culture, okay? If you are shamed, and there's a lot of different reasons that you could feel shame, that would carry generations of shame through your family, through your children, okay? So when he's talking about these types of ideas, drunkenness and violence, he's talking about the fact that you're going to be shamed. They're going to, you, you Babylonians, this is going to be so shameful. You're going to try to shame all of these God's people when you take over them. But what's going to happen is it's going to come back tenfold to you because you have no savior and no hope. They, shot to, they sought to shame the weak. The verb there, um, when you see the circumcision part, I just want to be clear about something here. <laughs> um, that is translated as, as show your uncircumcision, which means it's, it's basically saying that the oppressors, the Babylonians, they are speaking about the covenant community. Remember in the beginning when we started this whole thing, I said that God made promises, right, with, with his people, made promises, covenants, 
Well, circumcision is, is just a visual symbol of a covenant, okay? So when he refers to the uncircumcised, he's basically saying that, that you people aren't even good enough anymore to have this covenant with God. You think you know, but you don't. The section where it talks about drunkenness and the cup in, in the hand of the Lord, there's a lot of different thoughts on what this is. Is this like legitimately, like literally getting drunk or, or is this what we see in other parts of the Bible? Listen to this. In Psalm 78, 5, we see this, this, this verse, okay? For in the hand of the Lord, there's a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and when he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Maybe it's figurative. Another verse, Jeremiah 51, 7. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine, therefore the nations went mad. You see, in this example, Babylon is essentially the wine that's getting the people drunk, right? So it's like we see these first four, it's, I mean, excuse me, the first three, we see the Babylonians taking over and forcing people to do things, and they're, they're, they're using violence, right? And they're owning things, and they want this, so they're going to take it. But in this section, it's almost like they're, they're manipulating and they're, in, they're influencing God's people. I don't know. That's how I read it. He knows the why and the who behind any sin and shame, okay? Even if we don't have a full understanding of what this part necessarily means, he certainly does. That's one thing that blows my mind about all these woes is like we're not just getting like a, a newspaper article telling us what was happening. We're getting some, some of the heart behind it, you know? Some of the parts of it that God knows that there's no possible way unless he interviewed this Babylonian right here with a microphone, right? God knows, well, the fifth woe, like I said, felt really easy to, uh, to connect with for me. Don't know if it felt that way for you. The, the fifth woe is about idolatry. I mentioned before it breaks the this, this sequence, the structure. Idolatry um, is, is what he's talking about there. But he begins with this section on what profits is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies. Now remember, he's talking about, remember, he's, he's speaking about the Babylonians here. However, what do we know about God's people? They've done the same thing. You know, there's lots of history about God's people chasing after the idols of other cultures, of mixing with what they believe and saying, you know, I, I believe in you, Yahweh. I believe in you, God. I believe in you. But you know what? It might be better if I just added a little extra, just to, like for good measure, right? I do that. We do that, don't we? I mean, let's be honest. We're in church. I feel like we should. That we believe that Jesus ultimately knows everything and can save everything and, and provides mercy and grace about everything. But we add a little thing to it sometimes, don't we? I'm going to believe in Jesus, but I'm also going to add a little of this and a little of that. Just for good measure. Idolatry. I, I, I looked up a couple of, um, of quotes about that. Well, first of all, Romans 1.25, Paul describes idolatry this way. Worshiping the creature or the created instead of the creator. How about that one? It doesn't say the bad stuff. It doesn't say, it doesn't specify what these idols are made of or where they came from. It just says creature or created instead of the creator. That's convicting. Psalm 115 calls idols dead substitutes for a living God. Albert Schweitzer said this, anything you have 
that you cannot give away, you do not really own, it owns you. Think about that. Anything that you have that you can't give away, it owns you. D.L. Moody said this, you don't have to go to heathen lands today to find false gods. America is full of them. Whatever you love more than God is your idol. Whatever you love, whatever I love more than God is my idol. Tim Keller said this, idolatry means turning a good thing into an ultimate thing. You see, I related to that one the most because, because for me, I feel like I'm more in danger of idolizing the things that are good and beautiful, the gifts that God has given me, my marriage, my children, my friends, my church, my stability, my home, amen? My labradoodles, anybody? <laughs> You're like, that's not godly. Yeah, I know, but we do that, don't we? Because sometimes, let me give you a little gut check. Ready? You're gonna, you're just gonna hate this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Um, Look at your calendars and your checkbooks and then tell me what you worship. I'm looking in the mirror. I'm not just saying to you, it's me too. Look at your calendars and your checkbooks because here, a fun, fun fact, a couple years ago when I was doing the mom's ministry here, I remember we, we talked about this. Like, what are those idols in our lives as young moms, which I am obviously not anymore, but I am an old mom, so I can still speak to this. What are those things in our lives that we have put ahead of God? We have, we have put on a pedestal, right? What are the things that we spend our time on and our money on and everything? And then um, we, we had this great conversation and then I, I threw this one at him. So you can have, take this, this is free. Um, and then I said, okay, we can say whatever we want about the idols that we have in our lives, amen? Like I know mine, you know yours. You're, they're coming to your mind right now, I know it. But here's where it gets real. Go to the short people that live in your house and ask them, what matters most to mommy? I know, it's really gross, isn't it? It's very cringy. Go to the people. If you don't have short people in your house, go to the people that you live with. If you don't have people that you live with, go to the people you work with. Go to the people that know you and watch you and see what you really, really do. That's convicting. That'll get you every time. Idols. No amount of gold or silver can make idols trustworthy. They will always show their true value eventually for the Babylonians, for the Judeans, for us, right? Well, he closes with this one little verse. In verse 20, he says, but the Lord. I love whenever something starts like that because it feels like, okay, we could take a breath. But, but pay attention to this. But the Lord in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. Something that stood out to me was, was, well, two things stood out to me. Number one, God knows all of this. This, this isn't surprising. What, what he's saying about the Babylonians, about the Judeans, about us is not surprising. We're not shocking him. Those things that you hold close to your heart and you don't want anybody to know and you dress all cute and you pretend like those aren't real, he already knows. He already knows. And he's sovereign over it. Every, every little bit of it. The other thing I noticed is that his timing is perfect because why? You know why? Because he's got an end game, amen? 
He's got an end game, an end game for the Babylonians. We know this is coming, and, and we, we know, like, because we're standing on this side of history, that this empire will fall. It won't be in the timing that the God's people want it to fall because we don't have patience, right? Didn't we establish that earlier? He told Habakkuk to watch and wait, right? And then he said, wait longer. But this verse, but the Lord and his holy temple, I want you to remember something else, that he is greater than any oppressor. I read this and I thought this was just such a great way to sum up this little section. Now, the practices described here aren't unique to Babylon and that's the point. Given the human condition, most nations will eventually become Babylon. God answers to Habakkuk becomes, God's answers to Habakkuk become God's answers to the later generations, to anyone who lives in a world ruled by other Babylons. This leaves us with an unsettling open question. Will God let this cycle go on forever? Letting Babylon-like empires ruin each other with his world, in his world? No, right? Because what did I say before? There's an end game at play here, right? There's an end game. If you know Jesus, if you know anything about why he came, you know there is an end game. I mentioned it before. It's a big overarching story and there's redemption and there's rescue and it's awesome. But guess what? Guess what? It's a choice. You can be the Babylonians. You can be this and you can end like this. Or you can put your faith and your hope and your trust in something that is unchanging and always reliable. And that's Jesus Christ. That's why God sent him. He didn't send him just because he was bored. Hey, let's go see what's going on down there. Nope, he knew, right? <laughs> he sent him to this world to be fully man, to be fully God, be born and walk around and then teach us how to live and show us who he was and tell us who he was and die and rise again for us. Because you know why? Because all these five woes, you are guilty of all of them. I am guilty of all of them. Just think about this. Listen to this for a second. Selfish ambition. Sometimes we make ourselves our own God, right? Don't we? We put our needs above other people. We stomp on other people. We, we maybe make it look pretty and say, bless your heart, but we do it. Yeah? You know, there's that whole little section in James, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. How often do I put myself last? But, okay, I wanna challenge you on this and challenge Chris on this. How often do you put yourself last and then not tell people about it? Huh? Like a lot of times, don't you think our motives are a little thrown it's like, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna watch this. I'm gonna put some money in the offering plate, but I'm gonna tear my check real slow because everybody knows I'm putting it in, right? We don't really do that anymore, but that's what we used to do in the olden days. We do it though, don't we? I do it. I'm not, I, I have my blurry glasses on today. I can't see your faces, but I want you to know that I do that. My ambition is often in question. I'm covetous often. I desire what I don't have or maybe what I used to have or maybe what you have. And I consume myself with that. And I think about it. Do you do that? We do it, don't we? I mentioned social media before, how it's fun sometimes. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's heart-wrenching and it's, it's breaking hearts and it's, it's brutal because we compare, right? Teenage girls today, guys, teenage girls today, can I tell you a stat that is, is absolutely the, the most horrible thing? 
I've heard in a long time. Do you know teenage girls today, because of the world of social media and comparisons and all these things where they feel inadequate and they feel like they have to do and do and be and dress and all the things, you know what? Do you know the, the, the stat goes like this, that one in three teenage girls today have a plan for how they would commit suicide if they were to do it? In their minds already, a plan. That's, that's just, that's, that's Babylon, amen? We are these people. Let's not pretend like we're not. Let's be honest today, okay? Selfish ambition. We have covetous thoughts and feelings. And we, are we, do we exploit? I don't know. Do we take advantage of power? I'm gonna say this, and I'm gonna look straight down at my little notes while I say it. Sometimes we are passive-aggressive. Sometimes we enjoy seeing other people fail. It's true, right? We do it. We take advantage of the power that we have. Sometimes it's language. Sometimes it's with our tongue. Sometimes it's just how we feel. The drunkenness and the violence. Okay, like I said, maybe you're not murdering people and getting them drunk. You might be, okay? But let me challenge you in this way. Are you manipulating or dragging other people down with you? Do you take them down? You know, I, I think I'm a girl, okay? I think all of us are girls in here. You know what one of the biggest challenges I've ever had it, from being young to being this age? The one of the biggest challenges I have seen as a woman, girl, whatever, is gossip. And it seems like we make it seem, we make it like it's no big deal. It's a real big deal. It's literally a big deal. It's murdering someone else with our words and thoughts. And that's what I look at. I look at this and think, oh my gosh, you know, if I take a minute and speak about someone as though they are, um, when they're not there in a way that they probably wouldn't have given me permission to, how about this? If I'm standing there and I'm taking it in, am I helping? The fifth idolatry, we talked about that a little bit, calendars and checkbooks, right? What are you worshiping? Maybe it's something wonderful like a labradoodle. <laughs> I don't know. Because a lot of times I think with idols, we like to think of it as being the really horrendous, horrible thing, you know? Those places where we have addictions, those places where, that are just not socially acceptable. But I would challenge us in this, in this particular instance, I believe personally that the idols that I worship always look shiny and pretty, unless I'm honest with myself about where I elevate them above my God, my Savior. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe the Bible's one book by one divine author tells one story centered on one person. That's Jesus. You see, the end game I mentioned before, friends, he already knows all of this about us. We can dress it up and look pretty and say, bless your heart, all we want. But he already knows all of it. And Psalm 4610 tells us that we are to be still and know that he is God. So if we're still and we know that he is God, then we can know that there's hope because he sent Jesus. Now, maybe you, have, maybe you have given your life to Jesus. Maybe you have. But I'm gonna challenge you with something. If you have given your life to Jesus, even if you haven't, if you walk around hunched over because you have a backpack full of boulders of shame, can I just challenge you right here, right now, to trust him with those things? All five of these woes, you may be like, yes, 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 yes. Okay, if we're all honest, we all identify. But what are we doing differently than the Babylonians? We have Jesus, Amen. And we don't live like we do. 
You can have peace in trusting him instead of you. You can have joy in remembering that he knows and he loves and he saves anyway. All the things that you feel shameful about, guess what? He loves you anyway. My friend Rebecca this weekend, I got to um, teach at a conference thing with her and um, she said, oh, at the, in the question and answer session, she goes, tell the story about Maya and you listening with your face. I've said it all the time. So if you're new here, you're about to, if you're old here, <laughs> old here. That was rude. <laughs> if you're experienced Bible studier, you've heard me say this before, but you know what? When my daughter Maya was really small, we were playing on the floor and I was completely, you know, multitasking in my brain. I saw the dishes back there that needed to be done. I saw the picture that was hanging crooked. I saw the dust over here, a blanket. I saw all the things, right? And we're down here on the floor playing. And at one point, you know, I'm trying to do the Barbie voices and I'm not doing it very well. And she looks at me and she grabs my face and she goes, mommy, listen with your face. <laughs> Becky, where are you? You love that story. It's so true, right? I feel like we have a savior that says it all the time. Guys, I'm listening with my face. I'm here. I'm right here. But we don't believe it. We buy into all this instead. Have you um, decided that you're going to put all your faith and your hope and your trust in these, in these crumbling empires? Or have you put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus? Um. Remember, Habakkuk needed to be transformed from being a worrier and a waiter. And in the next chapter, we're going to see him become a worshiper. Go back this week. Go back and, and do, do something. Take a look at the places that God is calling you out of these woes. Take a look at the places. You're not, it's not fun. Let me be real. That's what confession is, okay? Confession is not required for you to be set. Well, it is required for you to be saved. You need to, you need to confess to him that you are a sinful person and you cannot, you cannot approach God and have eternal life without Jesus. Okay, that is a confession. However, I want you to know this. Confessing to him the things that you feel, all those woes that I mentioned, the times that I, that I want less for someone else, the times that I'm worshiping things that are not him, the times that I'm all those things, I can come to him and confess and go, hey, God, I got to say something right now. I, uh, I cared a lot more about this new show that I'm watching on Netflix than you this week. <laughs> I know you want more for my life, Lord. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Confess those things. So go back. This is my assignment to you. Go back, and I want you to figure out those places where God is saying, woe to Chris. Woe to you. And ask him to make it clear. Like, you know, I heard this one time and I'll never forget it. Um, there are times in life where we are so entrenched in these woes and sin that we do it so habitually, we don't even know we do it anymore. Right? Fair? And I remember I heard Beth Moore one time say this, and it was the creepiest prayer ever. And I thought, ooh, I'll never pray that. Of course, that's what God wanted me to pray. She prayed this, Lord, physically give me a response when there's something in my life that you want to transform. Lord, give me a, a guttural feeling. Give me, you know, take my breath away. Do, do something where I go, oh, my hands are sweaty. Is this, oh, this is one of those things. And so I, I'm going to challenge you to pray that way. Ask him where these places are that are taking over your life. Trust him with them today. Um, okay. What was us? We pray with me. Father, thank you for this time. I pray that um, each of us can be convicted in ways that are healthy and good because above all, you want us to know, yeah, we all mess up. We're sinful people. We've figured that out since Genesis 3. But Lord, you love us even if, even when, even though 
So Father, I pray that we can lean into that today. And it's in your precious son's name that I pray, amen.